All right. We have been in the process of, of uh, digging around. We're calling it a dig, really. We're, we're treasure hunting through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we have been discovering some wonderful things in there. Uh, we are not... Uh, we are not uh, expository teaching through Hebrews, line upon line, one line at a time. We are just kind of going around as the Lord leads and digging out some, some treasure that is hidden there for us. The Bible says, Jesus told a story in the New Testament, that there was a man uh, who was in a field and he discovered in that field a hidden treasure. And that treasure was so valuable that he, he just put it back. He didn't steal it. Somebody say Amen. He didn't steal that treasure. He just left it where it was. And the Bible says that he went and he sold everything that he had. He, he, uh, he liquidated all of his assets. He gathered everything together that he could get a hold of. And he took the money and he went and he bought the field because he knew that in that field there was a treasure that was greater than the price of the field. We understand that, uh, that passage that Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the kingdom of God, that within the kingdom of God there is great treasure, and it is worth investing all that we have and all that we are to go into that field and to dig out the truths, the treasures that are in the kingdom of God. And, and so that is, that is one understanding of what, what Jesus was uh, saying to us, and we are treating the book of Hebrews uh, right now as that field, and we are digging for treasure in that field. And today, we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Uh, last week, we, uh, we studied verse 8, and, and this week, we're going to pick up at verse 9, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, and it says, we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I want to talk to you today just for a moment about that uh, line there in verse 9, which says that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That's essentially what this day is about. The scripture teaches us that, that he went to the cross for us and he tasted death for each of us. He took our place on the cross. He took that death that we deserved on the cross he took that punishment that we deserve because of our sin on the cross. He tasted death, that he, uh, that, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture that... Uh, attention. Roll the screen. Thank you. Page 3. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, If by one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the man Jesus Christ abounded to many. If, if by, what this is saying is, if by one man's offense sin came into the world, 
If by one man's offense we all became sinners, the scripture teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because Adam sinned, he opened that door. And and because he opened that door, then all of his posterity, the scripture says, all are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We've all had that, oh, I wish I would have, I wish I hadn't have, I wish I didn't. You, You know where all that comes from? We're all born in sin. All those, all those uh, wonderful regrets that we have looking back over life, wish we would have chosen differently, wish we would have decided differently, wish we wouldn't have made that decision. That's all because by one man's sin, the scripture says, sin entered. But because of the grace of God, by the gift of one man, by the gift of one man, grace abounds to many. Would you receive that this morning? And for the, this gift is not like that which came through Adam, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Because of Adam's sin, all lived under the condemnation of sin. But the free gift which came after many offenses resulted in justification, resulted in that God made us right with him. Because of one man's sin, we all lived in condemnation. Anybody ever know what condemnation feels like? Have you ever felt condemned? You ever felt guilty? Probably because we were. But then because of the grace of the gift, the free gift of one man, after many offenses, countless offenses, then Jesus goes to the cross and he deals with with sin, and it results in our justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive the gift of abundant grace of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ? If by one man death reigned in us, then by the gift of one man, I love the way that the scripture says this, this uh, uh, the way that this is articulated right here. If uh, by the gift, <clears throat> anyone who receives the gift of abundant grace and of righteousness will reign in life. I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like you're just reigning in life right now? Are you just, are you just uh, the champion of life right now? I want to challenge you that when Jesus died, the Bible says that he redeemed the whole man. He redeemed all of us. Whenever he made you righteous, he made you righteous from head to toe. If you've received Jesus, you will not be more righteous tomorrow than you are today. You cannot be more right with God than you are in this moment if he's forgiven you of your sin, if you've received the work of Christ. You cannot be better in his eyes tomorrow than you are today. If you've not received Jesus, I want to challenge you that you can reign in life. He died for all of who you are. Body, soul, and spirit. Spirit, soul, and body, however you want to say that. He died for the whole man. He died to redeem you so that you could come from that place of unrighteousness to righteousness in his sight. So that when he sees you, he sees you complete. So that by the grace, the gift of one man, you would reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. 
John chapter 3 and verse 16 is a very familiar passage of Scripture, but it's also, uh, uh, we tend to quote John 3.16 and we don't finish and go on to the next verse, John 3.17. And I want to give you both of those today. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. I think we need to say that line again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I want, I want to help you right here. I want, I want to encourage you right here because it is a trick of the enemy of your soul. It is a trick of the devil. It is a trick of Satan to convince you somehow that you are condemned. But this scripture, my Bible and your Bible, tells us God did not send his son to condemn the world. I say this and I say this and I'm going to say it again. God who loves you so much is not picking you apart. He's not sitting there and looking down his nose over his spectacles at you like that. He's not, he's not staring you down and, and, and disappointed in the decisions that you've made. The wonderful thing about a relationship with Jesus is he says, come right now, come as you are. Come right now just the way you are. So many of us want, in coming to God, we want to fix this and fix that and straighten this up and straighten that up and then come and say, Lord, look what I did. I I did this and I did this to get this right so that I could come to you. And the Lord says, you didn't need to do any of that. First of all, all of your efforts, they're not going to accomplish the thing that needs to be accomplished to bring you into my presence. There's only one thing that can bring you into my presence, and that is Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send his uh, son into the world to condemn Anthony, but that Anthony, through him, might be saved. You need to put your name in there. I'm just giving you that example. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn Anthony. (laughs) But that undeserving Anthony, through him, might be saved. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn you. God sent his son into the world to bring you to himself that that you, through him, might be saved. Romans chapter 8, wonderful passage of scripture. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Some of y'all are in this room. You have been trying Maybe subconsciously, maybe intentionally, you've been trying to see if you could be separated from the love of God. You've even been listening to the enemy who comes up and tells you, he didn't want to talk to you. Let me challenge you. This passage says, who can separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall difficulty, shall distress or persecution 
Famine, hunger, nakedness, peril, sword. What does it mean by that? War. What can separate us from God's love? It is written, for, for your sake, Lord, we are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. This is written from a place of persecution. This is written from a place of distress. These words are written from, from a moment of difficulty. Yet in all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I keep hearing those words that we read a few moments ago about reigning in life through Jesus Christ. And then I read these words that say, we are more than conquerors. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just makes me aware that there's some individuals in this room and the way that you are living life, you feel like there's got to be more. Is, is this how it has to be? There's someone in this room and, and, and your thought processes when you rise in the morning uh, tend to be, oh my God, another day. Listen to that. In all these things, what things? Peril, distress, difficulty, famine, nakedness, trouble. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why don't you step over into more than conquerors? Step out of where you are and step into we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Listen to what the apostle writes to the church here. I am persuaded. I am convinced. I'm so uh, assured of this. You won't change my mind about it. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. You know, there are some individuals who, who go through life and, and throughout their life, their past just haunts them. And they never shake off their past and they never come to freedom in life. They never come to reigning in life because their past constantly tends to chase them down and drag them down. This says, I'm persuaded. Things present nor things to come. There's not even anything coming that can separate us from the, God, from the love of God. There's nothing behind me. There's nothing present in my life. And there's nothing that is coming to my life that can separate me from the love of God. Oh, how he loves you. Nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing. You know why he said that? Let me just unfold that for you. Do you know why he said no, no created thing? Because Satan is a created thing. The enemy of your soul is a created thing. The Bible teaches us that God created the angelic host. And then he rebelled and he said, I, I will set myself on high. I will be like the most holy one. I will be like the highest one. And so God just kicked him out. Let me show you just how you're going to be like me. Boo! You're out of here.
So the apostle reminds us in this passage, height, depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's only one thing, if there is anything, that can separate you from the love of God. And it's not, it's not even that, that you can be separated from his love. He will continue to love you, but only you can withdraw you from him. Our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says this, It was fitting to God in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Let me, let me read a couple of passages of Scripture to you. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says, uh, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey. He became the example of obedience. Let me tell you how that, what, the, the perfect picture of that in Scripture is this. In the Garden of Eden, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus is praying and he's saying to the Father, Father, I, I, I see what's before me and, and if there's any way, if there's any way, let this cut pass for me. If there's any, any other way, let me avoid this moment. Have you ever faced one of those moments in your life? If there's any way to avoid this moment, let me avoid this moment. But then in learning obedience, he says, Nevertheless, Father, nevertheless, not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he learns obedience and he's arrested and he's taken to the cross where he dies for our sin. He's taken to the cross where he dies for our sin. And the Bible says that he's perfected through his suffering and there he becomes the author of eternal salvation. Do you know the Bible teaches us that, that God knew you when you were being formed in your mother's womb, that God knew you even from before the foundations of the earth, that God knew you. God has always known you. He's known who you were. He saw you in this day. He saw you sitting in the pew, in the chair at Church of Living Water, hearing the preaching of the gospel, being told that Jesus loves you and being, uh, being told that Jesus cares for you and being told that Jesus died for you. He saw you from the foundations of the earth. He knew you before you. Amen. And he authored your salvation. He wrote the day. He wrote the day that you, if you've said yes to Jesus, he had written that day before you, before you arrived there. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Whosoever will may come. Will you? So then Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says this. It says, We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He, he, he uh, but was in all points tempted just as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus 
God who became flesh, came and dwelled in the earth, experienced life the way we've experienced life. So we, we, know, we don't have a high priest who doesn't totally get it. Whatever you're going through, Jesus can say, I get it. Whatever you're facing, Jesus says, I get it. I understand. I feel what you feel. I know your hurt. I know your brokenness. I, I, I get it. I, I feel it with you. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. We don't have a high priest, one of the, one of the translations says, who, who is untouched by the feelings of our infirmity. We have a high priest who when you go to him and you say, man, I'm struggling, he says, yeah, I get it. I know what that struggle is. I know what that feels like. Listen to this. He was tempted in all points just as we are. Did you know the Bible says that there is no sin that is not common? All sin common. In other words, if you're going through temptation, you're not the first one to go through temptation in that area. If you're facing struggle, if you're facing sin, if you're facing addiction, if you're facing difficulty, if you're facing brokenness, the scripture assures you that you are not the only one who's ever faced that. But all of those things that you are sensing, all those things that you're feeling, all those things that you're experiencing, they are common to the human experience. And the wonderful thing is, in understanding that they are common to the human experience, is that Jesus can say to you, without any hesitation, I get it. I get it. Let us therefore, this scripture says, come boldly. What, what is boldly after all? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us therefore come quickly. Let us therefore come without hesitation. Let us therefore come not with the conversation that says, oh, I don't really deserve to be here. Doesn't sound very bold. I remember one time, some time back, I was, I was praying before the Lord and I was saying, Lord, I, 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 uh, I, feel, like I, I feel like I failed. I've had that conversation with him a time or two. Do you know what he finally said to me? Can we move on from this? I heard the Holy Spirit say, Anthony, can we move on from here? Can we stop having this conversation about the things I have forgotten about? Can we stop having the conversation about the things that I have put behind? Can you put behind the things that I've already put behind us? Can you put under the blood the things that I've already put under the blood? Can you put in the place of forgiveness the things that the Lord says that I have already forgiven? So because we have a high priest who can look at our lives and say, I get it. I understand what you're going through. I understand why you think what you think and why you feel what you feel. Can you come boldly then before the throne of grace? The Bible says to obtain help in our time of need, to obtain strength, to, to, to take this journey, to obtain the ability, the strength to walk with him. To obtain the ability to be an overcomer. 
Then in that passage that in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, the, the last verse that we read says, For he who is being sanctified, or he who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, I'd love to get into a whole discussion about this, but it, it's, it's not for today. But nevertheless, he, he who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, he who purified, who purifies, and those who are being made pure, he who cleanses, and those who are being cleansed, how many qualify for that? He who sets apart for his purposes, and those who are being set apart for his purposes, they're one. But I don't want us to, to focus on that. I want us to focus on this next line. It says, for he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I want to help you. I'm convinced after many years of walking with God that there are many people in the kingdom of God and many people who don't come into the kingdom of God because they have this thing I've I've termed spiritual low self-esteem. How many have ever dealt with low self-esteem just in the natural? Let Let me help you understand something. People who feel like they cannot approach God do so because they don't understand what the scripture says about them. They have spiritual low self-esteem. He doesn't want to talk to me. God, God, he, he loves other people, but, but he doesn't. that's good enough for that guy, but it's not good enough for me. There are people who actually believe, because I'm the pastor of a church, that I have some in with God that they don't have. Let me help you with something. I don't have an in with God that you don't have. There's only one in with God, and his name is Jesus. There's only one way in. And there's no one in this room that he would rather have a conversation with today than you. So much so that the scripture says that he loves you so much and he's not ashamed to call you brother. What's that say? He's not ashamed to call you family. He's not ashamed. He, said, he says, we're one, you and I. Listen to this. Matthew 12 and, and verse 48, there was, a, there was a, this experience that was taking place. Jesus was, was with his disciples and they were on their way and they were doing uh, kingdom works and they were, they, they were watching things happen. People were being healed and, and people's lives were being changed and all this was going on. And then suddenly, Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers, his natural brothers and his mother, they come knocking at the door and they come and they tell Jesus, Jesus, your mother is outside. She wants to see you. Your brothers are outside. They want to see you. And listen to what Jesus Jesus said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he pointed at the disciples and he said, here is my mother and my brothers. Here are the people that I am connected to. Here are the people that I am family with. For whosoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I think it's a very bold thing that that the scripture says here. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to call you family. He's call, if, 
If you are not family today, if you have not said yes to Jesus today, I'm, I'm, I'm standing here today and I'm pleading with you, come into the family. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the brotherhood that is those who love Jesus and have received that great gift of eternal life. He's not ashamed to call you brother. That doesn't qualify uh, in any way with he's not ashamed to call those uh, brothers who've, who've not messed up so bad. He's not ashamed to call, those, call you brother if you've only stumbled once or twice, but anybody more than three or four times and just, just sit down. He's, he's, not, he's not ashamed to call you, uh, you brother, because, you, because you, you've blown it one too many times. Oh, dear Lord. There's no, there's no qualification in that statement. Except he was cleansing and sanctifying, and those who are being cleansed, they are one. Welcome to the family. If you've ever felt alone and isolated, welcome to the family. If you've ever felt that, that somehow in, in some church somewhere you wouldn't be received, welcome to the family. If you've ever felt like that, that in some church setting or some, some uh, setting in the body of Christ that you wouldn't be welcomed, let me just correct you right now. Welcome to the family. Listen to what 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17 says. This, I love this passage of scripture. Love is perfected in us. Listen to those words. Love is perfected in us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And we just read a few moments ago, come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. If you come boldly before the throne of grace and you obtain help in time of need, if you, if you are bold to come before the throne of grace throughout the days of your, of your life with the Lord in, this, in the earth, then you will have boldness in the day of judgment. You know why? Because you will have already been used to going there. You've been going into his presence boldly. So love is perfected in us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is perfected, completed, so are we in the world. Man, we could unfold that. We won't, but we could just spend some time there. As he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Come boldly. There's no fear. And he loves you. Come boldly. Don't be afraid to approach him. Yes, he's God, the creator of the universe. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not ashamed to call you brother. He said, welcome to the family. Come boldly. Oh, I challenge you. Come boldly. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. When you come to realize how much He loves you, there's no fear in approaching Him. You will come boldly. He loves you. Perfect love casts out fear. 
for fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you fear approaching him, you need to receive his love. But we love him because he first loved us. Listen. John 17, Jesus prayed. And I want us to end with this prayer this morning. In John 17, Jesus prayed for us, for the church, for all who would follow after him. And verse 20 says, I don't pray for these alone, but for all those who will believe in me through their word. How many understand the apostles preached the gospel, the gospel was preached throughout the known world in that day, and the gospel has spread around the world, and finally the gospel got to us. Jesus, in John chapter 17, was praying for all who would believe through their words. We have believed through their word. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I say again, welcome to the family. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them. Let me just, let me just challenge you. That the, that the love of the Father right now would overshadow you in that prayer. He said that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. If ever you wondered... If you're here today, and if ever you wondered if God loves you, let me remind you that Jesus prayed about how much the Father loves you. And he said, Lord, you have loved them just as you love me. Would you cause them to discover that you love them just as you love me? If you're here today and you've not received Jesus, you've never been in a relationship with Jesus, I want you to discover today that he loves you. I'm going to repeat again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Would you stand together this morning?